Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is always an honor to preach your word. It is a, a special honor today, Lord, to preach on the psalm of, of understanding your understanding a, a heartfelt prayer towards you. We praise you for the example of, of Todd and his family and how they have resolved to be students of prayer and to serve you in our nation. Uh, we praise you as well, Lord, for, for many in our church, Lord, who have resolved to the same truth. We pray, Lord, that we be encouraged to uh, seek you further. And for those of us that, that may not know you, that, that we understand that they must know you. Lord, that salvation is necessary. We pray, Lord, that you fill me with your spirit to preach truth and to speak boldly about what you have revealed to us and to give us ears to hear and understand. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. Our message for today is from Psalm 88. Uh, that's on page 494, I think it is, of the Pew Bibles. If that's wrong, anybody can correct me. You know, but I think it's 494. And you'll be helped if you, if you follow along. But before we read that, I want to ask a few questions. A few questions about, about how we see our own lives. So the first question is, how do you see God acting in your life? I mean, where in your life do you see him working? Think about that for a second. Now let me give you the same question worded differently. What do you suppose God is doing with your life? When things are going well, when things are good, is God doing something good with you? Is he teaching you a good lesson? But what about when things are not going well? What about when things are bad? When things are actually going terrible for you or for your loved ones? Where is God then? How do you assume he's acting? Could it be that God is displaying something to the world through you at the cost of your suffering? Friends, this question about God and suffering is the subject of the psalm that we'll look at today. We're studying the real-life account of a man who finds himself close to death. A man who says he's known death and suffering since his youth. He's concluded that as far as this life concerned, there is no cause for hope. He will not recover from his unnamed condition. His suffering is at his worst as he perceives it. He has no family no friends, and he expects to die soon. This is the darkest such account in scripture. Nowhere else do we see a, part, a person's heart opened in this manner. Nowhere else are we brought face to face with such a sobering reality. If you're visiting our church, we're definitely glad to have you. We're in the middle of our summer series where we're preaching through the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a, a collection of 
of corporate songs and personal prayers addressed to God. We believe the Bible to be God's word, so we set aside this part of every, every worship service to understanding it better. In today's psalm, Psalm 88, we have a man who identifies himself as human. He has thought deeply about suffering because it's been the long narrative of his life. Yet God has revealed himself to this man in the midst of his suffering. We know this because his suffering has not caused him to turn away from God. Instead, he turns to God with whatever strength he has left. We understand him rightly if we're able to picture him struggling to gather all the weight of his suffering just so he can take it to the Lord and pour it out at his feet. I'm immediately reminded of the woman who, who, washed, her, who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears because she was also burdened with a life of suffering. The psalmist sees value in this. Why go through so much trouble cataloging your pain and recounting it all the way back to your childhood so you can share it with God? I wonder if we share the woman and human sense of value in investing in this type of prayer towards God. Why does Heman cry out to God? Because God has revealed himself to Heman. We see this from the very first verse when Heman says, God of my salvation. But he hasn't simply just revealed himself to Heman. He's revealed himself as the one who saves. When Heman cries out, God of my salvation, in essence he's saying, Yahweh, or the only ruler who's able to save, you've promised to save me. With that understanding, let us now read this psalm in its entirety. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. 
My companions have become darkness. If you're like me, the first thing you thought when reading this psalm is that most of us will never know this type of suffering. This experience is rare and unique, yet it's reality for some. Even if we don't know this suffering personally, we don't have to look that far in our world and our societies to find it. I work in a city hospital, so I'm a regular witness to this type of suffering. I know that health care and crisis management is an imperfect science that ends quite poorly for some people. I've seen people survive tragedy just to suffer it again. I've seen moms lose multiple sons to gun violence. As a military veteran, I've seen soldiers survive the battlefield just to return to the states with traumatic brain injury and the loss of limbs. Then after numerous surgeries and extended rehab, they return home to find that their wives have left them because they can't handle this new norm of suffering. And some of you know that the city of Baltimore is close to my heart. It's a lot like my hometown of Detroit. Both cities are heavily segregated by historic housing policies, which are racially biased. But Baltimore has a unique feature, its harbors, which make it an example of a particular type of suffering. This is because of the ease with which lawless men can import drugs, namely heroin, directly into communities. If you've ever seen a household with one or more parents addicted to drugs, you know this suffering. I once heard an interview of a teenage girl from Baltimore who recounted that as kids, she and her friends had witnessed so many dead bodies, they remember waiting for law enforcement to come move them. They were waiting for the bodies to be moved so they could go outside and play. These children, like Haman, have known death since their youth. Friends, that's just the suffering immediately around us. We haven't even considered the suffering caused by generations of war and genocide in other lands. Listen, but listen to this quote from Martin Luther. He says, God is the God of the humble, the miserable, the afflicted, the oppressed, the desperate, and those who have been brought to nothing. My goal for us in preaching this song is to find that quote to be true, for us to see Heman's hope in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his cries of misery. There is hope here, but because of his circumstances, there shouldn't be. So it's easy to miss. We want to understand Heman, and by doing so, understand his hope. Then we will see how we too can have hope in the midst of our suffering. So the first thing to notice about Heman is that he knows the answers to the questions about his suffering. Heman understands his suffering because of what God has revealed to him. Look at verses 6 through 8. Let's read verses 6 through 8. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Four times Heman calls out to God, saying things like, You've put me here, and you have caused this. 
In these verses, we find Heman's answer to my opening questions about where he sees God acting in his life when things are bad. His answer is surprising and sobering. He says that God has caused the suffering, and then he takes it further. Twice Heman mentions God's wrath. In verse 7 and then in verse 16, he says he suffers because the wrath of Almighty God lies heavy on him and is swept over him. Heman's statement is true, yet this is probably the last thing that we would expect to hear someone say as they try to reason their suffering. You may even be tempted to believe that Heman is incorrect or at least exaggerating. That may be your temptation, our temptation, because of what popular Christian culture has been known to say about suffering. One of the applications of this psalm, or or any psalm for that matter, was to be sung by groups of Christians during times of suffering for the purpose of encouragement. So it's fair to compare Heman to what some of today's Christian songs say about suffering. Perhaps you've heard the song by Kirk Franklin named I Smile. This song peaked at 85 on the Billboard Christian charts and has been viewed over 14 million times on YouTube. In this song, he begins by saying, I dedicate this song to recession, depression, and unemployment. He says, this song's for you. And then he continues, today's a new day, but there's no sunshine, nothing but clouds, and it's dark in my heart. It feels like a cold night. Okay, so far, but here's where he transitions. He says, today's a new day. Where's my blue skies? Where's the love and the joy that you promised me? You tell me it's all right. Another song written by William Murphy called It's Working. Here's another song written by William Murphy called It's Working. It peaked at number 30 on the same charts and has over 3.5 million views on, on YouTube. In this song, he says, this is my season for grace and for favor. This is my season to reap what I've sown. God is leaning in my direction. This is my season for grace and for favor. This is my season to reap what I've sown. I've got a seed in the ground. And then the ad lib, that's where the artist speaks over their own voice to add more emphasis. He says, and I don't care what your circumstances are, it's already getting better. What Kirk Franklin and William Murphy say about suffering is at best only partially true. Kirk Franklin asked God, Where is the joy that you promised me? William Murphy has already declared that circumstances are getting better. They mean well, but what they're saying may actually be doing more harm than good. The problem is, their songs of encouragement are not encouraging for Heman. I even doubt they'd be encouraging for the grieving moms, the soldiers, and the victims of abuse that we mentioned earlier. I know that in a gathering of this size with this many people, many of you have received or even given bad advice during suffering. Too often we try to comfort others by saying their suffering is either not that bad or that it will get better. Too often advice from well-meaning Christians about suffering often leaves us confused or misled. Heman is not confused about his suffering. He understands his suffering because he has the correct view of God and his justice. Acknowledging God's wrath is a part of that understanding for Heman. 
Yet that understanding of God's wrath doesn't discourage him from turning to God. It doesn't challenge his view of God's goodness. So this leads us to the second thing that we should notice about Haman. He understands God's wrath. He understands his own suffering. And he understands God's goodness. First, notice what Haman thinks about God and his wrath. He doesn't think it's unfair. Haman doesn't see God as being unjust because of the action of his wrath. Also, Haman hasn't presumed upon God's blessings like the songs we heard from earlier. Haman hasn't even assumed that he doesn't deserve God's wrath. Look at what he says in the second half of verse 12. Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? What Heman is asking is, who will tell of your righteousness after I die? He go, he's, gone, he's gone on for nine verses explaining the results of God's wrath. And then in verse 12, he turns and tells God how right he is. He's focused, even if just for this moment, on God's righteousness. This is like someone being sentenced to solitary confinement, not only agreeing to the sentence, but then telling the judge, if you send me away, if you send me there, I won't have the chance to tell people how fair and good you are. This is a good place to mention that the human we see here is believed to have been a righteous man. No sin is named in this account of his suffering. Historians actually don't know exactly who this character is, but a few things about him are clear. According to this psalm, God never fixed human circumstances. But God did fix human's heart to trust in him and to look for his coming glory. So even, even though we don't know exactly who this human is, we do know what he knows and what he believes. He's someone who knows God's promises and God's history. Look at verses 11 and 12. Heman asks, is your, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? When Heman mentions steadfast love and faithfulness, he means God's promises to his people. When he mentions wonders and righteousness, he means the miracles of old and how God has worked to both vindicate and judge his people. The Old Testament Hebrews. We've already established that the Psalms as a whole are a collection of songs that were recorded for the purpose of encouraging the Hebrews, both privately and corporately. One of the ways that is done in the Psalms is by recounting the promises of God to his people and how God has worked miraculously to fulfill each promise. In the Old Testament, they don't speak in our modern language, so we don't hear of God's promises or miracles. Instead, the, the writers refer to God's promises by using the word pairing of steadfast love and faithfulness. To refer to his miracles, they use the word works. The first phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness, is mentioned 24 times in the book of Psalms alone. In the rest of the Old Testament, we see it mentioned in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David. It's also referenced by the prophets time and time again. In the New Testament, this phrase is translated as grace and truth. We can almost quite literally see this phrase from cover to cover in our Bibles. That's what the Bible's about. God working to save his people. 
just as he promised. Now let's look for a brief moment at the origin of this phrase. Listen while I read Exodus 34, 6 in the first half of verse 7. It's from Exodus. The Lord passed before him, him being Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? We've already established that Heman understands his suffering because he understands God's wrath. We also know he understands God's righteousness because he understands God's promises and God's miracles of old. Is there anything that Heman doesn't understand in this desperate plea to God? Before we answer that, look at verse 7 where Heman says, Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. There is an italicized subscript in the text that appears in the original translations, the word selah. It means to pause, to stop and think, and it's added to create both a dramatic and a rhetorical effect. Heman wants us to think deeply about God's wrath. He wants us to understand and empathize with his suffering. If you notice, when I read this psalm, I tried to read it in a weighty and dramatic way. To read this psalm as if it's only an intellectual exercise is to miss a large, a large part of its point. And now look at verse 10, and we'll see the one thing that Heman doesn't understand in the context of the suffering. Heman asks, do you work wonders or miracles for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Friends, Heman is asking this to God because he's not witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Heman knows of the promise to Abraham and of the miraculous birth of Isaac, but he doesn't know that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham that blesses the world. He knows how Joseph's brother sold him into slavery in Egypt and how Israel was saved because of it, but he doesn't know that Israel will also hand one of his own over to the Romans, and God will save many because of the sacrifice of that one. Heman may or may not have known about the golden age under David's rule, but he certainly doesn't know of the anointed son of David whose rule will never end, as we heard from the passage in Isaiah that, that Will read. But it's not just Heman who doesn't know these things. No one at this point in history knows exactly how God will save his people. Thank God for where we sit in history. We have all heard from eyewitnesses that Jesus is risen. The last and most important thing we should note about Heman is that he trusts God according to what he has done and what he said, even when he doesn't understand his own life. God doesn't have to do anything more for Heman to prove that he will save him. Heman has already been wooed by God's works. He is confident in God's steadfast love and faithfulness. So we should help Heman with this question from verse 10. Is there a miracle for the dead? Do the departed rise to praise God? The answer is an emphatic yes. This is the greatest work God has ever done. Every salvation miracle in history was meant to point to this, to this one greatest act of, re of redemption. And after we answer Heman, we should put our own Selah at the end of that yes and stop and meditate on that truth and what it means for all who trust in God's promise. I've had a chance to do that while preparing this message. Part of my job involves me helping people physically move from one place to another. 
which requires me often to, to pick them up. I can't count how many times I walk into a room to help somebody, and then they look at me like, you're going to help me? And they're like, how are you going to you know, get me on that table? <laughs> so I work out a lot, sometimes twice a day, to be good at my job and to be able to move people. The last two weeks I've been working on this sermon, I haven't worked out at all. I've had aches and pains coming from everywhere. This is what I realized. I don't hurt just because I haven't worked out. It's because I'm aging. To be blunt, I'm dying a slow death. Every day, I'm closer to the grave, and the suffering of my body confirms this. So if I understand what Heman understands about suffering, I would know that the fact that I'm dying slowly is God's declaration that I'm guilty of sin. And whether today or when I'm an elder, I will meet God for my final sentencing. So church, it doesn't matter if you're dying what seems to be a a slow death like mine or a fast death like Heman's. Don't be distracted by any false hope or any temporary promises. There is only one hope, the eternal salvation of God through faith in the risen Christ. I also had a second chance to pause and think on these words from Haman. Recently, I met a woman who had just suffered the death of of other family members, and she just got the news moments before I met her that her husband had just passed. So I immediately thought of the psalm in Haman, so I told her about it. I mentioned Haman and his circumstances and how he found hope. But before I got to explain it, we were interrupted and she had to leave. I never got to explain Haman's hope. I later realized I should have begun the way Heman begins in this song, with salvation. I should have asked her if she knew what it meant to be saved. That's the most important question. And that's the question that Heman leaves us with. Sooner or later, we will all suffer like Heman. And like Heman and everyone else who's ever lived, that suffering will lead to our death. Do you have Heman's hope right now? Get to know him in salvation today before it's too late. And also, did you see in, in verse 2 where Heman cries out to God, Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Friends, this is a prayer that, that sadly many of us presume upon. Many of us just assume that God will hear our prayers and answer us. But the Bible doesn't give us, the Bible doesn't give us that promise especially if we live outside of God's covenantal love. In Psalm 66, we we see the truth laid out that those people who cherish sin, the Lord refuses to listen to their prayers. In other words, unless your sins have been forgiven and your life is marked by repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners, then you cannot identify with Heman's prayer. It is in Christ alone that anyone has access to God. It is only as believers in Christ that anyone can approach God as father and not as judge. And so the ultimate hope of Heman is that through the Messiah, God hears his prayers. God knows his suffering as the suffering of a child of God. And if we are in Christ, we too can pray like Heman. And the astounding thing is, is that this is a mark of what it means to be a true child of God. In the midst of suffering and death, when God and his blessings are nowhere to be found, the true child of God continues to pray. He continues to seek God's face. And it ultimately is in Christ our Savior. 
who was truly forsaken by God on our behalf, that in the depths of our suffering and where darkness is our only friend, we can actually have hope. Hope in Christ. So in in closing, I want to leave you with the last verse of a a song that I wrote inspired by this this song. Um, I I had a chance to, I'm a Christian hip-hop artist, and I had a chance to perform this song uh, in Baltimore um, years ago, but not far from where where the riots took place. And and I knew at that time that that was really the only truth that, that would be encouraging uh, for them, the gospel, the true gospel. So I, I start the song, um, the first two verses, just kind of break down suffering the way that Heman does. And then in the last verse is where I, I try to, to, um, to understand Heman's hope. So I'm going to quote that for you right now. Some continue in insisting if I'm walking by faith and living as a Christian, all is calm in my gates. The cynical conviction says it's wrong what I say, but when I dig into the scripture, I see Psalm 88. A man suffering, heavy is his burden. He turns up to heaven to discern it. He learned that God willed that he taste his wrath. See, the answer's revealed if you faith to ask. Say, perhaps, You know miserable living, imprisoned in a violent life. You've been given the vision of the mind of Christ, and that minute of affliction will be passing by. Just the minute that you enter in the afterlife, consider the mission and the act of Christ, who was innocent yet given as a sacrifice, because even Christ learned obedience through suffering. It's rough, but then God is only teaching us to trust in him. And... With that in mind, uh, let us go before our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the gift of, of quiet suffering. And sitting before you, knowing that you are the Lord who will deliver us, we pray that you make this the, the truth in our lives, that we become students of prayer and, and seek to, to know better how to understand you and and to reason our our circumstances. We pray, Lord, that you uh, remind us of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Through Christ we pray these things. Amen.